tweet at TodaySOR. Time now for our Friday gathering. It's been another week dominated by the COVID-19 crisis and its political, economic and social consequences. With me in studio are Josefa Madigan, Fine Gael TD for Dublin Rathdown and Minister for Culture, Heritage and the Gaeltacht. Also here, Louise O'Reilly, Sinn Féin Health Spokesperson and Sinn Féin TD for Dublin Fingal. On the phone, Victoria White, columnist with the Irish Examiner and Finan Sheehan, Ireland Editor with the Irish Independent. Finan, are we any closer to government formation? Well, you are in terms of, of, of knowing what it is now that, that has to be delivered, but therein lies the, the difficulty. Uh, if you go through the, the, the 17 demands of the Green Party yesterday, you know, many of them are, are deliverable, some of them create difficulties, but there is that red line issue of the, the 7% reduction uh, in carbon emissions. And that is going to create an enormous difficulty in terms of the Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael base because it's very difficult to achieve that without going near the, the farming sector. Uh, it's the largest indigenous industry in the country. It's the largest emitter of greenhouse gases. It's on the way up as a result of the intensification of, of milk production over the last number of years as uh, levy, as, as quotas have, have fallen off. So I think both sides are still at that position where they're, they're looking at each other going, right, achieve the 7%, but how do you do it? And that seems to have been a difficulty going back to the talks that they were having six weeks ago before the coronavirus crisis kicked in. My understanding is that, that Richard Bruton's Department of Climate Change has gone off to try and prepare some sort of document that would show how you achieve this. But un- unless and until there is an, an adequate answer that satisfies both sides, you would still say it, it's a long way off getting the Greens in the door. Yeah, and Josefa Madigan... Um I just looking at, I'm just looking at Harry McGee's piece in the uh, Irish Times this morning and he says, look, as things are, uh, there is a plan. Ireland's ple- present climate action plan is aiming for a 3.5% reduction, which includes a million electric car vehicles, 500,000 home deep uh, retrofits, 70% renewable electricity, an 80 euro carbon tax and the rest. And, that, and the Greens are looking for twice that. Now, I mean, can you... Can you make those kind of concessions? Yeah, I mean, obviously climate change is a big issue for the government. And, um, you know, I, I think it's important to stress that this this is an initial uh, submission made by Eamon Ryan and the Greens, and we very much welcome that submission. Um, and obviously it'll be up to the negotiation teams who are capable of negotiating uh, and compromising in relation to all of the, the topics, that the 17 uh, issues that he's set out Um Finon Sheen reference there, Richard Bruton, he is a reference group. I'm part of that. I'm, for example, working on a paper on on biodiversity, uh, which obviously comes under the Department of Heritage. And some of the other issues like rehabilitating the bogs and some of the conservation measures um, for wildlife. Um, But, you know, and we are also there. But your average Finnegale farmer now on the plains of Mead or the Golden Vale wouldn't be too enamoured of this kind of stuff, would they? The Taoiseach has always said that, you know, he he wants a third party. Um, We need a third party for legitimate democratic uh, government um, to, to, to try and reflect the change that the people asked for. Um, and if independents come on board as well, then all the better. We want a government that's going to last five years. We need people that are, go- are not afraid to make tough decisions. We're going to be coming into a very yeah, difficult period, as you know, Sean, of the Dennis Nocton this morning at the start of the programme was bringing the regional independents, uh, that's one of the groups, much closer to the idea of, you know, leaving the Greens to one side and doing the deal. Now, could that work? 
you know, everything has to be worked out. But, you know, the Greens have made this. This is just a first step. I think it's a really good start. And I think the fact that Eamon has set out a very detailed and comprehensive evaluation of what he sees as the differences that need to be sorted out. This is a really good start that we can work on. But, John, before you leave me and go to Louise, I just want to wish you all the best of luck. Oh, God, Personally, no, don't I'm here, start that no, no, on no, We're out of time. I'm and, told and and there's a ban on that kind of there stuff. There might be a ban, but I just, I just want to say one thing. one one thing. I might. I, I have a very fond memory of being here with the late Noel Whelan uh, debating referendums back in October 2017 and I just wanted to say thank you for that memory. Okay, and, well, and that's thank all. you for I'm thanking me. Uh, I'm going to be Ryan. kind by not saying anything <laughs> nice <laughs> you, know you know better. Um, seriously, uh, where do you read this now? Well, I think it's very interesting now uh, what Josefa just said there, uh, that they need a third party in order to form, uh, and I wrote it down, a legitimate democratic government. That's a, a fairly clear message now to be sending to the independents. Uh, either intentionally or unintentionally. Um, I think the, um, I, well, as an afterthought, you know, and I think there's a lot of taking the Greens for granted in this as well. Um, Not at all. You know, I think the, uh, the, the, there's a bit of an arrogance about the assumption from Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael that, uh, that somehow they, they get to control the government. Uh, it's not that long since we had an election. The result was very, very clear. The people want to change. Uh, Sinn Féin want to lead a government of change that will, and that will do those things that were very serious issues and that haven't actually gone away. You know, people are still living in overcrowded accommodation. They don't have security of tenure. There still are very serious issues. What did issues you make of the on. Greens list? There's seven. 17 highlighted priorities. Well, I mean, it's more important, I suppose, what Fine Gael make of it. Um, what the minister has just said there is that, uh, you know, that she thinks it's a good place for them to start the compromise. I don't think that's a good place for the Greens to be going into in terms of a negotiation. Um, but however, they do, uh, I mean, they have set out their stall. But, you know, uh, it remains to be seen. What we have to do is, uh, you know, look back at the performance of uh, these two parties when they've been effectively in government or a government arrangement yeah, sure. together for the last yeah. four years. Now, you're in my bad books. I want to go to Victoria White. Uh, what do you make? Wh- wh- how do you read the situation at the moment? Um, and I think maybe you need to declare a personal interest. Yes, I do. I am actually married to um, the self-same Eamon Ryan, as it happens. However, um, I am. I may be one flesh, as they say. I'm certainly not of one mind. Um, well, I mean, how I read the situation is I'm, you know, fairly despairing listening to the discussion so far because, I mean, the idea that, you know the 7% would be unachievable. I mean, the 7% reduction in emissions was what the, the Oireachtas, uh, Joint Oireachtas Committee agreed on, and it is what is necessary in order to meet the commitments that we've made under European, under, to the European Union in relation to our carbon emissions. And it is short, actually, of what we would have to do in relation to um, arresting the worst uh, impacts of climate change from, from, in, you know, from an Irish point of view. So I mean, the idea that this is outrageous because it doubles what we've, you know, committed to in a, a defunct plan um, is irrelevant. However, I do think it show, this all shows the importance of talks, because if it is true that the sticking point is the reduction in climate change uh, emissions, well, then that makes very clear um, for an electorate what the fault lines are. It makes very clear that Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael are not committed to the appropriate level of reduction that even the Joint Directors Committee agreed on. Um, and it makes very clear why the difference is with the Greens. 
Justine. Yeah. Uh, first of all, <clears throat> I think um, I, I, I just take umbrage to what Louise is saying there. I think Sinn Féin are just trying to spread discontent. You ample opportunity to, to bring forward a programme for government and you failed to do so. So the onus was left to Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael to try and go ahead and do I don't that. Think this even is about, you if I could that. just finish, this is about looking that, forward, uh, not backwards. Um, and, you know, what Victoria says there is, is correct in relation to talks. Talks are extremely important. The last time when I was involved in negotiations back in 2016, it took us to the 6th of May to have Enda Kenny elected as a Taoiseach. People said it wouldn't last. People said we couldn't put together a programme for government, which at the time seemed rap- radical and that took departure. Days. We're now on day 76. Yeah. And as you know, we're, we're also in the middle of, of a, the COVID-19 crisis. And I think things are progressing. Things are moving on. This is about using politicians that are experienced in negotiations, in mediation, in, in, in compromise um, and trying to find commonalities and common ground in order to put forward a comprehensive and robust government uh, for the Irish people, which is extremely necessary at the Finan moment. Sheehan, to what extent does the idea of another election remain on the table in your view? Yeah, very much so. I, if you go back to the, the mathematics again, which does, this does all have to come down to, you start out with that, that 72-odd seats between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. If you did put in a, a group of independents, uh, say, 8 to 10, yes, you can get across the line. And maybe there is some form of confidence and supply uh, arrangement with either the, the Labour Party or the Green Party on a temporary basis to allow a government to be formed. Uh, then that's a possibility. But can that survive then in the longer term? As soon as you get to September then uh, and the prospect of a, a, a budget being put on the table, which is, is bound to be uh, harsh, uh, given the current economic climate, then you're going to hit a, a difficulty straight away. If anything, it would be a great shame if the Green Party were left out of government at this particular point in time, because the, the past six weeks has highlighted a lot of the issues that they would have championed for a long number of years around building standards, planning of communities, green areas, focusing on on public transport and, and walking and cycling. Even the much derided carpooling makes an awful lot of sense for an awful lot of people uh, at the moment. So there is a great opportunity there uh, for the Green Party to come in. And in their absence, I don't really see how you can form a government. Because even if you fell back on the other option of Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin coming together, you'd still need a, a third party to come in at that point, in which case the focus would again shift to would the Green Party be, be, be happy there. Uh, Victoria White, might it be more plausible or feasible for the Greens to do a deal with Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin uh, than it would be with uh, Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil? Well, it's just irrelevant because Fianna Fáil have said they won't deal with Sinn Féin. So, I mean, like, whatever you might say, the shades of green government, whatever, I'm afraid is a, it's a phantasma because Fianna Fáil won't do it. I mean, I think they have an issue with brand there. I mean, is there too, clo- too much closeness in the brand from the perspective of Fianna Fáil in relation to their interpretation of what republicanism is? I don't know really what the problem is. I'm not saying it to you, Louise. I'm saying it in relation to Fianna Fáil. Well, there's a fundamental but and basic, uh, uh, you know, huge difference between the approaches of uh, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael uh, and the approaches of Sinn Féin. So we only have to look at the um, effective government that they ran together uh, for four years. So with the start of it, there were just over 5,000 uh, people in emergency accommodation by the end. That figure had doubled. So, you know, we know we know them by their policies. We know them by uh, what they did when they had the opportunity. I mean, the simple fact is we came into the COVID-19 uh, pandemic in very poor condition. And it's not just me saying it, uh, doctors and 
and very senior medics were saying it at the time because of the underfunding of the health service and because of the fact that we had such a high level of vacancies among consultants and among nurses. So all of those policies, when the, the, the two parties, formerly known as the two big parties, come together, those policies hurt working people and working people and ordinary families need a voice at the cabinet table and they need to have that leadership at government level and they simply won't get it from Fianna What's Fallen the response? I, I, I think we're demonstrating that leadership at the moment, Louise. Um, you know, I, th- I think the fact that this government has demonstrated over the last number of years how uh, we have gone from a, a deficit of billions, 23, 25 billion up to one, you know, 1.2 billion surplus, which thank God we have and thanks to Pascal and the Teachers Good Work because if we didn't have that, we wouldn't have been in a position to allow those 48,100 people that are availing now of the wage subsidy scheme. We're, we're given the €350 Euro pandemic payment over 12 weeks, which is costing us uh, 4 billion. If we didn't have that money there, we would be in a very difficult situation at this stage. So we're, we're entering this period of time with, with from, from a place of strength, uh, which we wouldn't and have had would if you, it wasn't for the policies that, that this government has taken over. Well, I say that would you the people living in an uh, emergency accommodation, Josepha, say that there are, to the there families are, who are, who are, are in and uh, we, hotel we accommodation. We don't have a panacea for that and we are doing everything that well, we no, can. Victoria, well, I want to come back to you. You could just build Would you accept, for instance, we heard Dr. Austin O'Carroll just about a half an hour ago or so, maybe three quarters, describing how the effort has been made to look after people in the homeless community and there have been no deaths from the COVID-19. That is the kind of compassion which I think everybody would want to see in action. Yeah, and not it's only been that, but it, I mean, the other side of that is that how come we couldn't do this before? But the fact I mean, is they're doing so it now, Sarah. They're not entitled to, to uh, be given a chance to say or to prove uh, that there's no going back to the old ways. Absolutely. I mean, I think, I mean, I think this business of we won't talk to you, we won't talk to you is outrageous, particularly in a small country where, frankly, we are all neighbours, friends, colleagues. And we all really want the betterment of this country. We just have different perspectives on, on how we might bring that forward. I think it is wrong to say, I won't talk to you, I won't talk to you. In fact, what we, should, we should all be talking cause we should, because we all actually have a lot to learn from each other. Finan Sheehan, just to broaden this out to the way the government has generally been handling the, the COVID crisis, uh, you wrote a pretty scorching piece last Saturday uh, criticising the, the Minister for Health, Simon Harris, albeit coming along to say in, in general the government was doing a reasonably good job. But um, do you not give Simon Harris credit for leading the fight? Well, Sean, you can't have it both ways. You can't claim that Simon Harris is leading the fight and then turn around and have Simon Harris saying that he is basically just implementing what he's been told to do by Neffet because he's not making the decisions himself. So, you know, make up your mind which which one is it. If, if anything, I think this week uh, highlighted how, you know, clear communications are, are so important. So we entered into the lockdown and the restrictions with a very clear and concise message coming from government about what exactly was happening. And then in the last week, kind of ministerial ego and contradictions about the manner in which restrictions were being implemented are now causing confusions on, on, that, on the exit from any of these restrictions. And that complacency that we're now seeing kicking in over recent days, uh, despite what the Department of the Taoiseach might tell you, uh, is actually as a result of the lax standards that people were seeing in high-profile examples such as migrant workers coming in and talks from particular ministers like Simon Harris about schools returning and restrictions lifting. So you're either going to be consistent with your messaging and want people to stay on board or you're going to have people coming out with their own stream of conscience. If anything, a number of outstanding issues are still dragging on 
over the past six weeks to a month that have, have yet to be reconciled. The rate and the pace of testing, childcare for health service workers, the insurance company uh, payouts and the banking sector responses. And we haven't even touched on the nursing homes issue right. yet. Ministerial ego uh, getting in the way, Josefa Madigan. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, a very unkind comment to make. Um, but is it uh, true? You know, is it and fair? And I don't, I don't agree with that. I mean, Simon Harris, uh, of all the ministers, is is working morning, noon and night, as are the entire civil service, as are the entire cabinet and every public representative in order to do the best we can. Enfit gives a daily briefing every day. Uh, there's there's full uh, accountability there in terms of what's happening. Sorry, that was the Liz question, that was the question Alan Kelly does. asked yesterday in the Dáil. To whom is Enfit accountable? Enfit is accountable to the Taoiseach uh, and to the Minister for Health um, and in return ministers are accountable to the Dáil. Are you satisfied with that explanation? Um? Well, I think the uh, the questions that were raised about uh, NFET are actually uh, and the quite cabinet pertinent. Um, you know, I mean, we have a body that has 45 members on it, all from a diverse range of backgrounds, coming with different levels of experience. Uh, they don't uh, publish the minutes as, as a routine. I don't know that minutes are taken at every single meeting, but what uh, well, I we think are to be fair, Tony just let me finish. The answer that yes. Uh, we are expected to believe that this 45 strong group uh, meeting regularly never have a disagreement, never have a vote. Um, uh, we're not quite sure. Sounds how like the, the Sinn Féin Art Corla. Doesn't at all. I tell you, if you were <laughs> ever at the Sinn Féin Art Corla, you wouldn't say that very robust discussion yeah, to make an and a vote. We don't, the, we don't, we don't, the, uh, we don't get uh, access to the minutes. Yeah, we don't have I mean, FOIs. Uh, uh, no, indeed. Fairness, but I think the, the important points that were made around accountability highlight the need actually uh, for there to be, um, you know, more accountability through the structures of the doll. So Sinn Féin has been proposing that we would establish uh, a special, a specialist COVID committee and also a, fi- a subcommittee Sorry, of, of finance that? and indeed um, social protection because these are the issues that we want. It's not good enough to come into the doll once a week. We want proper democratic accountability yeah, and, and that and can, and that that can be exist, achieved um, through the know, committee there is, structure. Okay. There, there is the COVID-related uh, query system uh, where, which is replaced PQs. Yeah, just to finish on this and the TDs consenting questions public. which go to the par- parliamentary liaison unit in the department uh, of the Taoiseach and then these are given to departments who then provide them to the Oireachtas and to, to, to TDs as well. But Enfit is also answerable to the sub-cabinet uh, committee. And, you know, yesterday I was in the Dáil. Uh, now, this is before Simon Harris and Pascal Dunne, who were there. The Taoiseach uh, was asked questions. That was, it's only a two-hour slot because of the health, uh, you know, guidelines that you can't be in an environment uh, with people longer than two hours. And the Taoiseach was only afforded 10 minutes at the end to answer all of the questions. And as he said himself, he had six pages of questions that he wanted to answer, but he didn't have the time. So he's actually asked the business committee to go back and have a look at that because there's no point just coming in six pages of spending questions so 10 minutes the of their the time if I just finish answered, uh, in you the told meantime. you asked me not to interrupt you Louise um, you know answering a question and taking 10 minutes to answer the question so not leaving the Taoiseach any time to answer at okay, all Okay I want to go That's back to Victoria to White on this yeah. one uh, Victoria do you think that there is need to do a particularly uh, the, the, the nursing homes Finon alluded to it there to how they were handled or mishandled is there is there a need when when the crisis has passed to, to re-examine how, how the preparations were made and what, what mistakes might have been made yes of course and, but I do think it is very important that as you said your, your emphasis is correct that we look at this in 
order not to take lumps out of each other politically because I just don't think that's respectful to the people who have suffered and are suffering both economically and physically from COVID. But in order to say, well, there will be probably another wave, there will be other epidemics and in general, we need to look at the nursing home issue because if you look back to our history, to the kind of deaths we had in congregated settings uh, way back when we had waves of infection um, in mother and baby homes and on and on we go, well, we're looking at that kind of uh, congregated setting infection again in nursing homes. Uh, we're looking at how we congregate large numbers of frail people together. And yes, it, there's no doubt that the, that the eye could have been much, much more acutely on the ball of the nursing homes, given that Spain and Italy had already shown the, the I mean, they were describing it as a massacre in Italy, what was going on. OK, in just homes. one other question, one other topic, quick answer, if you would, please. Uh, the Leaving Cert date, the 29th of July, it starts. Yeah. Uh, you support that, do you, Louise O'Reilly? Well, I think the way it was announced is probably very unfortunate. I think the clarity is now welcome, but what needs to, before the announcement, uh, I suppose, and to give parents and learners themselves that the kind of comfort that they need. You know, teachers have questions. I heard them this morning uh, on your show. Uh, I know my colleague, Donica O'Leara, has been uh, has been raising these issues as well. What we really need to see is a plan now on how it's going to be rolled out, where it is, and also how they're going to bridge the gap, because not all students are going to be going into this on a level playing field anyway, and this is a exacerbating it. So not all students have access to a computer, not all students will have the facilities and there needs to be a level playing field going into it and that requires the preparation that hasn't been done as yet. I, I think it's extraordinarily difficult uh, for the Leaving Cert students and uh, you know we had to find a way for them for the, for the exam to go ahead so we'll go ahead on the 29th of July and to, to answer Louise's question it'll be early June when it'll be established as to how that'll be run out. Okay and Victoria you have a particular interest in this certainly from the yeah. point of view of next year. Well, I have, yes. I Well, I have a Leaving Cert student as well. And I mean, I think it should have been run in June, actually, because there's social distancing implied within the Leaving Cert framework. But my question is this, what are we going to do next year? I will also have a Leaving Cert student next year. We know that there's going to be waves of coronavirus. And in any case, we know that the Leaving Cert is not fit for purpose. There's a very strong policy document from the, curric- the national curriculum uh, body, which shows pathways towards okay. a different type, towards portfolio assessment towards a different type of assessment. I am terribly sorry. That is a question for another day. The time or the clock has cut up with us. My thanks to you all. Uh, Victoria White. uh, Also, my thanks as well to Finan Sheehan and Louise O'Reilly and Josefa Madigan. Uh, In news headlines, the number of COVID-19 related deaths worldwide has surpassed 190,000 with the number of confirmed cases now at more than 2.7 million. And the company which makes Detol has urged people not to try injecting disinfectants as a way of treating COVID-19 after President Trump said it would be interesting to check that. That's our lot for today and for this week. Thank you for listening. The programme produced by Rachel Graham, Research Amy Ryan, Broadcast Coordinator Geraldine Collins on Sound, Father Carney, Series Producer Tara Campbell, over to Ronan.